0: Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die.
1: God just laid this out of Proverbs chapter 21 verse 21 just one verse tonight <clears throat> on my heart and it's interesting that uh somebody shared with me earlier I'm not going to say the name of it because we're online and I don't want to in any way give any kind of credence to that but I mentioned earlier about the Christian music thing about one of the songs that's on the top right now that's not from uh, it's just bad news but I realize the more the things that I hear, how important recognizing. Remember how I I consistently am reminding you about the overt acts of our will. We have defaults. There's one thing that most humans default in easily: laziness. Anybody can admit. I mean, all. All right, a few of us that are honest. The rest of you, we'll, we'll get to you later. But you know, there's these character issues that are defaults. Anger can be a default. Uh, you can have a tendency to have, you know, you have a tendency toward alcoholism in your families. These are faults that the enemy wants to bind us in. He wants us to follow the patterns. Remember what we know scripturally the sins of the Father carried on to the third and fourth generations, but the blessings to a thousand. He wants us to carry on those traits. He wants us to carry on those things that are negative, that are not in any way conducive to growth spiritually. He doesn't want us joyful. He does not. The enemy disdains us being joyful because when we radiate joy, i was had a conversation with someone earlier about this because I experienced it yesterday, where if you will literally live the joy of the Lord that is your strength, that God blesses us with, that as Christians, that joy doesn't mean that everything's optimal around you. No, the joy of the Lord. So it shows that the joy is not even your joy. It's the joy of the Lord. So it is... Compelled from an external source meaning it's from God So I'm able to live the joy of the Lord and express the joy of the Lord And it's not because circumstances are optimal and I feel wonderful and everything's just as the old saying is the planets align No, it's because I have decided that I want my default to be as a Christian. I want joy I choose joy if you remember about 12 years ago. I preached a message called choose joy It is an overt act of our will, meaning we have to choose to do that. It's not something that you'll wake up in the morning and just all of a sudden every day you're just going to radiate joy. You have to make a conscious choice to say, no, get thee behind me, enemy, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want to be a child of the living God, the risen God. I want to live in the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So what you're doing by doing that, though, is you begin to establish a pattern. And these patterns are very, very important, especially when you're younger. They're important when you're old, too. But especially when you're younger, because you establish patterns that can be long-held patterns if you are very wise in getting in the Word, growing in the Word, growing in your walk, your relationships. What happens is instead of the default most often being the things that are contradictory to spirit, the things that are not uh, optimal for not only spiritual growth, but relationship development and relationship growth, you pursue the things of the Lord. You pursue righteousness. You pursue joy. You pursue peace. What will happen is you'll have what I've experienced, and I know many of you. Has anybody ever gone, has anybody ever come to you or, or seen you and gone, why are you so happy? Has anybody experienced that in here? Good. The rest of you, you don't know what you're missing. And I shared how amazing it is, now that that happens, you don't even have to go and look for opportunities to share Jesus with people. You know what happens? God just brings them right in because of obedience. What is the obedience? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm going to walk in that. So when the world sees the differentiation in you from the next Joe rolling down the street, sorry Joe, didn't mean to say that, this old saying I say, But the next guy that goes down the street and they look at them and they go, well, what's wrong with them? You might be as saved as saved, but if you're not living it externally and if you're not manifesting that, what is ever going to trigger the world to want to know about us, about who we are and what we are? What will? Do you know what will push me away from someone quicker than anything? If I walk up to them and you can literally... Smell the fact that they are so negative that they can't even stand the skin that they're in, and you can just tell they're you know what I'm talking about? I refer to those as Debbie Downers. That's the old proverbial statement. It's that person that you go near in the 15 years you've known them, they've not one time ever said, Man, God is so good, life is great, my family's doing well. When you get near them, you can see what's getting ready to happen. It's like a dump truck that has a bunch of negativity in it, and they're backing up your loading dock. You know what the problem is? I have a movable loading dock, and I get my loading dock out of the way. Why? Because I cannot allow myself. It's one thing if you're counseling, you're helping someone work through things. But I'm talking about people who are persistently and consistently living in negativity. Nothing's ever good. Nothing's ever good enough. The job's never good enough. The bosses are always mean. It's always the next mess that's happened because it's everybody else's fault. What does that do? That runs people away from you. Because life's tough enough to sit around and have somebody else dump a big, literally it's like going to the, the dump out there in Lebanon up on what they call it, the hill, trip, Mount Trashmore, and having them just take a whole entire bunch of and just dump it right on you. We don't have, life is tough enough, isn't it? So tonight, what we're going to see is attributes that as followers of Christ, we should pursue. What are you pursuing tonight, though? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to take joy and take you uh, captive to joy, making you a captive of joy? Filling you with God's presence, His power, His peace. Why? Because you seek Him with all your heart. Scripture says, when you seek Him with all your heart, I will be found. We know the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what else do we know? In our weakness, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, when Paul's pleading with God to take away that thorn, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we look at the Scripture, what the Scripture points to as a weakness in self, and a strength, the only strength that we ever have being found in the person and work of Christ, yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. But if you'll notice, each one of those things that the the Bible promises us will bring that blessing, your power is made perfect in weakness. If you reside in weakness, His power rests on you. Amen? That's why what? I boast in my infirmities, my persecution's weakness. For when I am weak, He is strong, it says. So that's the beautiful picture of that. When you and I don't have joy, that's okay. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. So it's not even a joy that emanates or radiates from us. It's never circumstantial. Because if it's circumstantial, it is continually going to be changing. hope you have the Scripture tonight, Proverbs 21. We'll look at one verse, 21. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence tonight for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. Father, thank you tonight for your word. God, thank you for the challenge of it, the encouragement of it. God, thank you for the conviction of it. Lord, we praise you tonight. We know that Christ Jesus died a death we could never have paid a death that we would have paid ourselves to redeem us. Lord, he, we have been bought with a price God, I pray that tonight you'll continue to conform us into your likeness, make us the men of God and the ladies, the women of God, the children of God, Lord, our children that you have called us, you've created us, and you purpose for us to be. Father, equip us, Lord, as we go out into our mission fields, Lord, to be a light in the darkness, Father, that the world may see Jesus lived out in us. God, we realize that your word is literally day by day, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word being fulfilled, and Lord, we take great comfort in that. God, there is no fear as we watch things seemingly unwind all around us, God, because you alone have your purpose and plan, and it will, as your scripture says, not one word will fail to, to happen, Lord, and we praise you for that, God. May you be lifted up tonight. Speak to hearts, I pray if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and King tonight. Lord, I pray most of all that you will be alone, lifted up, and glorified. You deserve it all. We ask this in Jesus' holy, righteous, and precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. First part of 21 again. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love. Now, we know what a pursuit is. Josh is out there, but Josh, back when I was a policeman, right? You, what's a pursuit? Anybody know what a pursuit is? It's those things you watch on TV because it's exciting, right? And you're wanting to watch somebody wreck. Don't lie. You want to see a wreck. That's why people go to the smash-up derbies and everything else. You don't go to NASCAR just to see who wins. You want to see the wrecks. But a pursuit is when something is running and someone's pursuing it. Pursuers, a real pursuer stops at what? To achieve catching what it's after. Nothing. So now we go to what scripture tonight in verse 21 again, the one who pursues righteousness. So there is a characteristic that shows there's a separation between two types of people. You've got the one who pursues righteousness and faithful love. And then what are you going to find? Default. What I just mentioned a moment ago, what is default going to do? They're not gonna pursue righteousness, they're not gonna pursue faithful love, they're gonna sit back, not get in the word, not get in prayer, not be the men of God that we've been commanded to be. You're not gonna be the woman of God that God's commanded and called you to be and you don't be the child of God that you've been called and created to be because you have rejected the call to pursue these, just, just think about these couple of attributes tonight. Pursuit means that you have to actively engage with an overt act of your will what is not natural to the human propensity or the condition of ourselves, meaning we don't naturally want to do this. There's not anybody who wakes up as a new Christian every day for the next 50 years and says every day, no matter what, man, I cannot wait to read my Bible every single day That there's not, I mean, what I'm saying by this is there's going to be times in your life where you have to do what I've done, where you think that you're reading upside-down German. And those are the mornings that you can try to excuse your behavior and going, Lord, I want to make sure I really absorb it, so I'll wait till later on. Don't ever do that because you won't read. I assure you, don't do it. I don't care if you literally have to hold your Bible right there. If you have to get three pairs of glasses drink two cups of coffee and splash cold water on your face and run around outside at 15 degrees for about 30 seconds. You read God's word beyond a shadow of a doubt no matter what happens. You know why? Because what you do then is you are pursuing righteousness. You are pursuing, you are showing God that he is number one. He is in everything going to be preeminent in your life. And this is the interesting part about it. People often think that God has a character issue because why in the world was this insecure God that's jealous? Well, first of all, God made us. He is the uncaused cause that ex nihilo, out of nothing, spoke everything to existence. I don't comprehend that power because it's beyond my scope of comprehension. But I can tell you one thing. That tells me that that God is not only all-powerful, but He deserves to be number one. God created us for his glory, for his good pleasure. God created us as the manifestation and the outflow of his love. God is relational, and therefore he created us to have a relationship with him. So interesting when mankind says, I don't gonna worship nobody. Can what say to the potter? Lord, I'm not gonna, think about this. You are the potter, right? The potter, we are the clay, God is the potter. We're gonna tell God, you can't tell me what to do. of course God gives us free will but imagine that in the scope of everything and imagining one day when someone stands in God's presence the very clay is saying to the potter you can't make me do anything reminds me of our two and three year old children amen I guarantee you I can make you do something amen I can encourage you to obedience and I know nobody else has ever had to do that here All of your two- and three-year-olds have been compliant, haven't they? Right. You know what I'm talking about. It's not easy because the natural human condition is built to rebel. We're rebels, aren't we? Yes, we're rebels. What does Moses say? God, why did you call me to lead these rebels? We have rebellious spirits in us that naturally want to rebel against everything. You ever wonder why wives want to rebel against husbands? Honestly, I'm not, even, I'm not even picking on ladies tonight. Look at the curse in the Garden of Eden. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's part of the curse. You know this? It's not, it's not a, I mean, it, Listen, the choice that mankind made in the garden and then we want to look at the baby. You know, oh, they're so innocent. Well, right, yeah, put them in that room. You've never done anything, never said anything bad. Mom, there's nobody, no influence, no TV, no nothing, and you're just loving that little child, and they go over to that plug one day, and you pull them back from that plug and say, hey, little Bobby, Peggy Sue, or Billy, whatever his name is, I love you, and I don't want you to get hurt, and you move them to the other side of the room, and the second you set them down, where do they go? Right back to the plug. You didn't teach them that, did you? No, that's called the sin nature we're born with. It's, by the way, that's ironic. I've met so many people that aren't believers that when I use that illustration, it shocks them. It shocks them because for the first time in their lives, they recognize that human beings are wired with a desire to rebel in them. And you can see when it resonates with them and they don't know anything spiritual when I have conversations with people that are like that, but you can tell when they're walking away, they're like their minds numbed because it's a reality, it's a truth. We are born rebels. We are born separated from God because of sin. So ultimately what we're dealing with tonight is even as followers of Christ, as a Christian, we have choices. We have two natures. We have our born-again nature as a follower of Christ, a Christian, and then we have the old nature that is at war. Paul says in all Scripture, we're, we're, it's at war within us. Think about this, war. So you have two natures. Let's, let's just do it the easier way to understand. We have two natures. We have the sin nature that we are daily being conformed to the likeness of Christ, trying to, in essence, run from, spiritually speaking, the strength of the Lord, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're feeding every day that we wake up, and this is where I get to this default part. Every morning we wake up, we make a choice. We can do a Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I do that every morning. I wake up every morning and say, God, I am yours, you are mine. God, use me, mold me, make me, break me, do whatever you have to do, God. Take me captive to your purpose, plans, and will for my life because I know I will never and can never be the man that you have created me to be if I don't do that. And I do that every single morning when I get up. I do it as I'm walking from my bed into the kitchen because I know that if I do not do that, I know that my default is is just like anybody else's and can get incredibly selfish, self-focused, and self-serving. So I decide with my default, and you decide with our defaults every day, which nature we are going to feed. Now there's, there's cause and effect, right? Law of harvest. Plant, you reap, sow, you reap. So if you have a sin nature that you are deciding whether willfully, you might say, well I'm not willfully trying to do that, If your default is not to delight yourself in the Lord, then you have chosen to feed a nature that is contradictory to the spirit, that's contradictory to the the God nature, the God man in us, right? So when we feed the sin nature, and we starve the spiritual nature, the God nature in us, what is the issue that arises? We've got a strong sin nature that we have allowed by our inaction or our direct rebellion to be fed and the next thing you know we find that we have not been the church in three months we haven't read in six months and we haven't we've been talking how we shouldn't be talking and we're in we're yoking ourselves in friendships with people that are completely contradictory to everything that we want to be as a follower of Christ the next thing you know we pick up addictions and we are in a cauldron of a mess why Because we decided a long time ago to engage in this little act of insanity called incremental compromise. Incremental means small. Compromise means what? We are doing things we shouldn't be doing, but we didn't do them big, we just did them incrementally. But small incremental compromises end up in really big things. It's the same thing, ready? Compound interest. If you are in any way a person that knows anything about money, You don't get rich fast. By the way, if anybody in here is looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, let me give you the best advice you'll ever hear. Don't ever get rich quick, get rich slow. Okay? What that means is you're faithful with your money, you're faithful with your time, your talents, your resources, and you don't worry about getting rich. You let God bless you as he desires to. And it's not going to be done overnight. It's going to be done over a long period of time by a principle called compound interest. When you're back many years ago, When I was 18 years old, if you put $200 a month, starting at 18 years old, in a savings account, by the time you're 65 years old, you're a millionaire, with the normal interest rates of what would happen with compound interest back starting in 1990 or 91 or whatever it was. That's what you had to do, $200 a month. So what is, wait, $200 a month turns into a million? How does it do that? It's called the, the principle of compound interest. So you're feeding something, and what happens is over time it begins to balloon. It gets bigger, and that little sum ends up turning into something big over time with the return and with interest. Spiritually, we're talking about the same concept. The same thing we're talking about when I mentioned to you, and I'd like to give you different ways of understanding it because people are different learner-wise. Remember squatting. People always, this resonates with people when I talk about the enemy and how he squats on our brains we leave real estate the Bible says to pray without ceasing so when we fail to pray without ceasing the enemy comes and squats that's when attitudes and actions and all of these things that we start going man I haven't done that in a long time what's wrong with me why am I acting like that why am I doing that because you've allowed real estate that was no right of the enemy to squat on but because we were rebelling and we were not yielding ourselves to the Lord we were not pursuing righteousness and faithful love And we weren't finding life because what we've done is allowed incremental compromise to, under the concept of compound, it has become big now. And by the way, it's really hard to get it out once you let it in. It's a lot harder. The same way getting a squatter off your property. If you ever have a squatter take over a property, you're going to find out what I'm talking about. It's very, very difficult to get a person that's illegally on your property, off your property, once you decide or find out they're there and decide to get them off of there. Therefore, the great picture of this is stop allowing it to happen in the first place. Pray without ceasing. Stay in God's word Wake up every morning, no matter what you feel like, and say, God, you are going to be preeminent. You're going to be number one. Because listen, God, I know I can't be the husband that you have created me to be, that you call me and command me to be. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. If God is not preeminent, you cannot do that. I assure you. There's no way possible. It's going to end and end really badly. The only way you or I Guys can be the man of God and ladies be the woman of God that he has created you to be is if he is number one. Your husband, ladies, cannot be number one. Men, your woman cannot be number one. God must be number one. And by the way, greatest wedding I ever got to take part part in, by the way, no one has even come close to the wedding being like this was, but I married a couple about two years ago, two and a half years ago, and he wrote his own vows to her. Matter of fact, I was kind of embarrassed for her because after he got done saying this incredibly long vow to her and how much God had, he first says to her, I promise you today, this was the first part out of the vow, he says, I promise to you today that God will come first before you. I was like, woo man, they started right. And I was thinking, you know, from a worldly perspective, if that was a worldly person, they'd have reared back and popped them. But I was so blown away when I heard him start to say what he was basically committing and vowing to her is that he knew that he could not be for her what she needed him to be if God was not number one. And he was vowing to her that God would always come before her so that he could be for her what she needed. I thought, what an awesome demonstration of Christ. But listen, what a great demonstration of a godly default. Because what he has done is laid the entire structure, starting from day one, with a structure that is guaranteed to be successful. It's a guaranteed thing. This fellow is much like myself. He's a very happy person. I love the guy to death. And I, it was so incredible. I told him, I said, I've never, in all the weddings that I've been a part of, seen something so incredible. Literally, it was a picture of Ephesians, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. He was standing there at the altar, covenant vowing to her in the presence of the Lord and all of these witnesses to be the man that God had commanded him to be. First thing that I want to share with you, though, comes out of that first part of 21 tonight is this every person is in pursuit. What are you pursuing? And that's my question to you. What are you pursuing? Because of what happened to me in 2004 with getting hurt and being at home for four years and all the back surgeries, I have appreciated life to a level that most people do not begin, if they do, usually begin to appreciate it when a very uh, earth-shattering, life-shattering, situation-shattering event happens. And that's usually around their 50s or 60s if, if this happens. This is the reason that I have such a a thankful heart with life and I take everything, every single blessing that God has given me. I recognize it for what it is and how I've shared with you about water and driving the car and how I continually sit and I'm so thankful for all of these things that God has blessed us with. We are so blessed because I was at the place when Jessica was nine months old or a year old and John was five years old that everything was removed from me. Being able to do it all, all of a sudden God stuck me in bed for five year, four years. And then the 13 back surgeries that happened over the course of the next 10. God knew what was going on. But I recognized because I realized that all of this other stuff is fleeting. It's meaningless. Two patients got wheelchairs two days ago. Just like mine. And it was a flashback. I saw it. I said, you know, I, mine was just like this, just a different color. And it reminded me of what my life was. And if the doctors had been right, would still be today. And by the way, I wouldn't have been in here today. As your pastor, had, I not able, had God not enabled me to be able to get out of that wheelchair and be able to actually move and go, it was just too complicated and too hard. We wouldn't be able to have, I mean, there's just so many things that would be different. But this is the awesome part about what God does. God knows God knows where we're at. He knows where we've been. He knows where we are. But most importantly, God knows where we're going. And that's the question tonight, though. What are you in pursuit of? Everyone here is pursuing something. You might, oh, no. No, I'm just kind of existing right now. Well, you're pursuing yourself. You've gotten lazy, and you're just sitting there bobbing around going, well, Lord, if everything was better, whatever your mind frame or your thought process might be for the reason that you're doing what you're doing. But everybody's pursuing something tonight. Well, well, no, I'm not doing anything. Well, you've got a hobby of some sort. Might be watching TV. Might be napping. You may have some hobby of something. Collect knives. Collect guns. You know, ladies, I know you all love to collect nice guns and power tools for your husband, you know, and you don't want him to mess with them. And, you know, ladies, I know that's the kind of thing. I know Emily's wanting a new chainsaw, big 26-inch bar one for Christmas. So I'm on the lookout. Just teasing you. But there's pursuits that every one of us have. We all have one. We're chasing something. I know some people that have, that have desire to be a millionaire in their life. I know this. I've had them share it with me. I want to be a millionaire in my lifetime. Now, when you don't ever tell me that because I'll encourage you against that. Don't chase money. It's a wicked taskmaster. Take you farther than you want to go. Cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. Some people look forward to retirement. That's their That's their pursuit. Some people are trying to retire early, so their pursuit is making a big bunch of money so that they can one day not have to work because they just want to be able to wake up in the morning and do whatever they want to do. By the way, that's not conducive with being a Christian. Waking up every morning and saying that, I'm going to wake up every morning and decide what I want to do, you're not living in obedience scripturally to the Lord. You know why? Because every morning when you and I wake up as a Christian, it's nothing to do with what we want anyways. It's what God wants. So if you're a Christian, you've already sold yourself into an indentured servitude to the king of kings, the God of creation, the potter, and you have told him, God, I will do what you want me to do. So every morning you wake up until the day that you die, you will never be retired. You will never be able to go and do, unless you're in sin, what you want to do. You're going to wake up every day and say, God, what is your will for me today? God, what should I pursue today? What is your desire, your will, and your pursuit What do you want me to do? And that should be our hearts. We should literally wake up every morning like a blank slate spiritually and say, God, place me where you want me. What do you want me to do? Give me ears to hear, eyes to see, and God, give me the yielded obedience to continue to walk every step that you place in front of me. God, do not let me simply believe that you're speaking through the Holy Spirit but not reading your word that I'm hearing you speak. God, don't let me simply read your Word and fail to pray and spend time with you in prayer. God, it's the combination of the relationship with you, God. You are relational, and you desire that for my life. And Lord, my pursuit let my pursuit be nothing more or nothing less than what your desire for my pursuit to be every single day. Is there going to be days you do really well in yielding yourself to Him that way? Yes. Are there going to be days when you wake up and you feel like a three-year-old child that doesn't know how to pull their pants up yet, get off the toilet and take off running to your mom? Boom. You ever seen that happen? I have. Okay, good. We're getting ready to start giving out those, uh, those sodas that wake you up on Sun- Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Wake up on me, guys. We'll, do, we'll jump in Jackson here. But it's very, very important we recognize that these natures that we feed, these natures that we are encountering on a daily basis, we have to make an overt act of our will. We have to choose, as the criminal code is, with malice aforethought. Hey, I have chosen, I know this is my desire. God, you are my king. You're my God, you're my Lord, you're the potter. I am the clay, I'm yours. I'm gonna hang on your leg like a three-year-old child that you're gonna go spank, right, that goes down the hallway. Don't do it, right, as you're taking them to their room. Do that spiritually speaking to the Lord. Hang on to him with everything in your being because he's the only one, the only one, that can give us the desires of our heart, which is if our seeking him is our desire, he'll give us more of himself. And then the second half of it in verse 21, here we go. So the one who pursues righteousness and faithful love, you ready for this, will find life righteousness, and honor. Now you go, what do you mean life? I mean, I'm living right now. If you're not in God's will right now, you're still living, aren't you? You're breathing, but you're not living. You know what true life is? You know what truly living in the blessings of God is? It's if tonight you go home and your house is burnt to the ground, you're not going to do what the world does and start screaming and wailing and weeping and, oh, no, I just lost everything. You know God's your master, your king, your Lord, and you're going to do it, Job. If you are yielded to him and you have conditioned yourself by default to do what? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In all things, all A-L-L, capital letters, in all things, give thanks for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. So if you, and I've actually thought about this at length, if I go home tonight and my house was burnt down, I'd actually smile and I'd be like, praise God, Lord, what do you got next? What, what's in store next? Because this is not, my, the sum total of my life is not built on things and possessions. That is nothing. Everything God's given me is merely a means to an end, a means with which to honor and to serve him. All of it. I, don't, I hope one day when I die, I die broke. Literally, square with the house. Spent the last dollar five minutes before I die, so to speak, you know what I mean? Not sitting around on some big heap of money because I'm waiting one day to hope I'll outlive my money. What are you talking about? I want to watch God use the blessings he's given me. I want to see it firsthand. I want to pour it into lives. I don't want to sit around and heap up a bunch of money so my kids will go out and act like fools one day with money that they didn't need in the first place. Because we know how corrupt Money can can money can seriously hinder the ability for our kids to do well and all of us for that matter. Amen. We know what scripture says, money is the root of all evil. Thank you. You're listening. Praise God. It's love of money is the root of all evil. But how many times have you heard that misspoken? Money's root of all evil. It's not. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. Money never did anything wrong. It is the motivations behind that money. And when you see everything that God gives you as a means with which to live out his created purpose, what's so awesome is money has no power over you anymore. Because you realize that is a a means with which to bless the name of the Lord. You think with all the people we have in the house, you you could think about a stingy mindset of, you know, Man, you know, we didn't have these people in here. We could have so much more money to ourselves. And, you know, I'm at that age now. I can start traveling and could buy another airplane and start flying and have me on me, right? a big time. Right. And not be able to watch God bless the beauty of these people that He's entrusted us with to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Oh, it'd be, yeah. All right, yeah. You can sit on top of your money. I'm not going to do it. Because I know one day I'll give an account for every bit of it. And you think God's going to go, oh, I'm so glad you sat on top of that $600 million or whatever you are able to save up. Well, you were so faithful. By the way, your kids are all ruined now as a result of it. No, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to sit back and watch God use for His glory everything that He's entrusted me with. And I want to be faithful, to be faithful with everything He does entrust me with. But you know what I most assuredly want to experience? That last part of 21, church. Again, one more time. Faithful love. What do you? Will find life, righteousness, and honor. You think that honor is an earthly honor? No, it's a spiritual honor in heaven. It's God. It's being honored in the presence of the Lord because you were faithful. You were in love with the things that God loved and you hated the things that God hates. What is the, why does your pastor disdain abortion? Because there are no mistakes. Again, you want to know what true unconditional love is? Like I've said to you time and time again, get plugged in with somebody who has Down syndrome. You will experience an unconditional love like you've never experienced in your life. The patients that I work with, some of these, apart from having us and the people who take care of them, they would have nothing. And the sad thing is, our culture sees them as broken as something that should be thrown away. May God have mercy on them. I can't believe they're, I can't even I can't fathom how someone can see a child as a choice to be extinguished with because my convenience and my ability to live my life is affected by their disability. You want to get me, well, y'all know me. I get wound up. And that's why as long as Longview Baptist Church and I have anything to say about it, this church is going to be so pro-life, we can't stand it. Amen? We're going to love what God loves because God loves life. What do we see right there? Faithful love will find life righteousness and honor do you think if we're extinguishing god's children are we just how about one of my friends who does right to life stuff says some churches won't let them come in because it's controversial do what having tennessee right to life sunday and supporting young women who want to have their children is controversial are you crazy what's wrong with you I said, I'm glad I wasn't doing your job because I probably would have the wrong spirit and I'd walk up middle of a church on a Sunday morning and say, y'all got an issue with Tennessee right to life? And I'd have a big dialogue and it probably wouldn't be the way to do it. But that's not the way when we support things that God is categorically against. Well, you mean God's categorically against it. The Bible says that he knits together every child in the mother's womb. Going to tell me God is not intimately involved in creation of life? So I will assure you, when I support life and this church is steadfast, against abortion, and I believe every one of us should take in foster children until there is no need for any more group homes. Every Christian on the planet should take them in, and then guess what would happen? They wouldn't have anywhere they would need them because there would be so many people that want the children and need those children and would be willing to take those children. But guess what? You dry up the need for it. You dry up the need because there's nobody anymore who's not willing to take in but as Christians, church, this is our call. This is our responsibility. How do you find life? How do you find that, that last little part right there? Righteousness and honor. You love the things God loves. You disdain the things God disdains. Second, th- the final thing I want to share with you tonight. Pursue God to find life, righteousness, and honor. Pursue the Lord. Pursue God. Pursue your creator. Pursue him. Now, what did we talk about in the beginning about pursuit? Think about that policeman you've watched on that video that in some cases have lost their lives pursuing someone to try to protect the population. That's pursuing. You were so dead set on it that you were going to stop at nothing, including the loss of your life, to protect others. You yourself today, you pursue righteousness like that. You pursue honor like that. You pursue the joy of the Lord. That is something to pursue tonight instead of... Worldly wealth, relationships with people that are connected or whatever it might be, that is all fleeting. That is all literally like a mirage that you'll never catch. But if you tonight pursue righteousness and holy, holy living, what's holy living? Living set apart, church. Do you want the world to see Jesus lived out in you? You can talk about it all day long. But if someone looks at you and they see no joy in your life or your heart, you'll never get that person to ask, I promise you, they won't come up and go, wow, you're so happy. Uh, what's your secret? What are they going to do? You know, you're, you're so between happy and miserable that I can't tell which one it is. Would you share with me why you're like this? No, they won't do that either. But I promise you, if you let the joy of the Lord resonate in your life, when you smile and you walk with joy, with intent, and you're praying without ceasing, there will be numerous people that will end up coming up to you and saying, hey, why are you always so happy? Guess what you've, what you've allowed God to do? Use your very life of obedience, walking in the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, as a billboard that God uses so that the world can see the transforming work of God through Jesus Christ in you. Again, it's not something of ourselves. It's not a gift from us. It's not something because you conditioned yourself that you were able to get the, um, what is it, Win Friends and Influence People book, and you, you played out this multi-level marketing plan that is now yielding benefits. no. What you've done is a spiritual principle, a spiritual concept. You've taken First Thessalonians 5, verse 18, and you've decided to make that your mantra. You've decided to do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and not just talk it. You've decided to trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him. And what? He will direct your paths. And as some of those versions say, He will make your paths straight. Do you got an answer to question that needs answered? I promise you, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will answer that question. Does it, will it happen right now? Will it happen before Monday? I don't know. God's timing, it says his ways are not my ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But I do know that God's answer will be Ephesians 3.20. And Ephesians 3.20 is one of my favorite verses. Unto him who is able, this is us, To do what? Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Here's us. This is our top. We're to, oh God, if you just bring me here, God says, what do you want to be here for? I answer, here. So my choice tonight is to say, in your question, as you answer it tonight, ready? The question is, what are you pursuing? So tonight, I ask you this. If you're here and you say, I want that. I want to have that joy. I want to live that life so that people see Jesus lived in me. But I don't know how to make this transition from where I'm at. Maybe you had a mom or a dad that's pessimistic. or You've fallen into that apathy and that indifference and that mindset of, I'll tell you how you start tonight during the invitation. You say, God, I don't know how to get from point A to point B, but God, I want the very essence of my life to point to the joy of the Lord and God, I don't know what it's going to require for you to do it. God, I realize everything you've given me as a gift, and I realize it can all be gone. But God, tonight, I want to find life. I want to find righteousness. I want to find honor. But God, I want to find the peace of you that surpasses all understanding. And God, I don't know, again, how I start tonight, going from that to, to where I'm at, from where I'm at to that tonight. But God, I purpose in my heart and my life tonight I want you to be preeminent. I want you to be number one. God, I want to be that man or that woman that you've created me to be, and I want you to do whatever has to be done to begin tonight to conform me into your likeness like never before. God, I know I'm pursuing something tonight, and Lord, if I even don't even, maybe you don't know what it is tonight you've been pursuing, and you're kind of thinking about that, but you realize that your pursuits haven't been what God's desire for you is, you know what you do? Be honest with them. That's one of the awesome things about God, he already knows, so get honest with him. And if tonight you go, "Lord, I'm a failure and I've really not done what I'm supposed to and I've just recognized tonight your spirits completely helped me understand that I'm so far off from where I need to be, but I don't know where to start." You start by saying that, "God, I'm so far off right now. Lord, I just repent of the fact that I have not been what you've called me to be and created me to be. Lord, begin a work in me tonight. Change my heart, change my desires, Father." conform them with your likeness god i want the world to see jesus in me lord we're watching this world literally unravel right in front of us god thank you that we are not constrained by this world we are in the world but not of the world you have called us out and lord tonight let me die greater to myself once my desires and if it's a man guys God, let me greater serve my wife, my family. Let me love my brothers and sisters in Christ like you've commanded me to do. Ladies, you might have that person in your life that's a no count. old saying is, I got that no count husband. If he just, you stop worrying about that, you worry about you. You do what you're supposed to do. You let God change that other person. God can change it. Don't worry about anybody else. The only person tonight I can change myself is me. So when you start with you, what you do is say, God, I'm taking captive everything to the kingdom work, kingdom will, your desire, your wants, but we have to start by getting honest with God. What's your pursuit tonight? Let's pray.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. Today, you know you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray, and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.